praise to our worthy King. Appreciate the study this morning and uh, those that were able to be here with us. Uh, we tried to look at uh, the first and second chapters of Matthew and for our study this morning, I'd like to ask you to open your Bible to uh, with us to uh, Luke chapter 2. During this season, uh, it's just a, a wonderful reflection upon the, the bounty that we have in Jesus Christ. And uh, there's several things that I want to draw your attention to from Luke chapter 2. And we're going to title our study, Good Tidings of Great Joy. That's exactly what the angels were, were speaking to the shepherds about in this chapter. I want to back up, though, to read the context with you to verse 1, and we'll go down all the way to verse 18. And it came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. And this taxing was first made when Cyrenius was governor of Syria. And all went to be taxed, every one into his own city. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, out of the city of Nazareth, into Judea, unto the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David. To be taxed with Mary, his espoused wife, being great with child. And so it was that while they were there, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. And there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people, for unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. Ye shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there were with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, Good will toward men. And it came to pass, as the angels were gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds said one to another, Let us go even now unto Bethlehem and see this thing which is come to pass, which the Lord hath made known unto us. And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. And when they had seen it, they made known abroad the saying which was told them concerning this child. And all they that heard it wondered at those things which were told them by the shepherds. May God bless the reading of his word this morning. Isn't it, isn't it interesting that, that 
in this uh, account, we read the word wonder. They wondered. They were amazed by the report that they had received from the angel and the fulfillment of that report, even as was told them. And I fear many times, especially in a, a Christian culture, um, many times we, we lose the wonder of Jesus Christ, the awe, the amazement. And we uh, often are overwhelmed by the mundane. And we uh, go through the motions year after year, month after month, weekend after weekend. And, and it's easy for us to slide into just a, a, a false sense of uh, worship and, and, and uh, adoration when in reality we're just kind of in our hearts. We're just going through the motion. Well, I hope this morning that some, in some way the Lord would stir up by way of remembrance our pure minds. Understanding something that uh, the Apostle Peter said in Second Peter chapter 1, verse 18, he said, We have not followed cunningly devised uh, uh, myths. We, we have not followed cunningly devised stories. Uh, a lot of times we, we think about the birth of Christ like a, a good story. And it's something that we share from time to time with those around us. But I want you to realize that this is the chronicle of an actual event in human history. And a, a, a time that God had set aside to perform for us what we could never do for ourselves I want to think about this in four ways this, with you this morning. I want to think about um, the anticipation of the appearance of the Messiah and the advent itself, the announcement that we just read, and then the advantage that there is to the people of God. The hinge of human history is found on the door of a stable. Have you ever thought about that? We live in a world that actually accounts time, B.C. and A.D., uh, before Christ and after His birth. All of human history is hinged upon this event that's found in Luke chapter 2. And I hope we can understand this uh, a little bit more um, at the close of this message because it's important to us to, to see the components that came together in a unique and powerful way to provide the context of the first coming of Jesus Christ. It, was in, it is said to have been in the days of Caesar Augustus. Now, this was his title, not his actual name. Uh, his actual name was Caius, Caius Octavius. And he was the, the nephew, the adopted nephew of Julius Caesar. And uh, Julius Caesar was a great ruler in his own account. And you read uh, uh, historical accounts of Julius Caesar and you, you find he had a lot of wisdom. And, and, and he had actually thought about uh, Rome being a, a, a republic where, where the people had a voice in its government, and, and uh, he established the Senate, the Roman Senate, for that very purpose, so that they would reflect the values and thoughts of the people that were being ruled. 
So it was a, he was a great ruler and in his own right. But he died um, uh, in 44 B.C. And uh, uh, he, he left a vacancy in the leadership of Rome for a period of 13 years. And during that period of time, Rome changed drastically because uh, the Senate abs uh, absorbed all the power of government uh, from Julius. And in the absence of a, a Caesar, they were able to mandate many things that uh, were not in the best interest of the empire. But then we read uh, about uh, Octavius rising to the throne in 31 B.C. And shortly after, well, uh, as a result of the Battle of Actium, uh, in which uh, Mark Antony was defeated, and a, a lady called Cleopatra, have you ever heard those names? Uh, they, they were defeated. Uh, and, and, and so this paved the way for Caius Octavius to ascend to the, the throne of the Roman Empire. And shortly after that, the Senate conferred upon Octavius uh, the title Augustus. They deified him. They, they made him a god, a, a demigod uh, in, in Roman culture. In other words, he was someone to be admired and praised by everybody in the Roman Empire. So that's where the name came from. And, and that's interesting to me from a standpoint of history, but also providing a context for the birth of the real king. You see, uh, Octavius, he ruled uh, for half a century uh, the Roman Empire, but he died and was buried and forgotten. But the one I'm talking to you about this morning did experience death but he rose again, and he sits upon the throne of heaven this morning as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. So in the days of Caesar Augustus, he sent out a decree that all the Roman world should be taxed or registered, enrolled. And, 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 the, and the primary reason for that, by the way, was not monetary. The primary reason for the polling tax of Rome was to see who could serve in the Roman army uh, because uh, young men from 17 years uh, up to 31 would be uh, conscripted into the Roman army. So, so that's, uh, that's what's behind this uh, scenario. And so he goes out and he mandates this tax and, and uh, this taxing would cause the people to go back to the city of their nativity. In other words, where their tribal roots were. They would have to go back to that area in order to register. And that was in God's providential power and hand care, uh, how that he would bring Joseph and Mary on a three-day journey all the way from Nazareth to the actual city of Bethlehem. Now, I want you to think about this from the uh, way in which it was anticipated. The coming of the Messiah was first anticipated 
by uh, a prophecy that's found in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, when, when Adam and Eve had transgressed the law of God, remember, and, and, and God confronted them, and, and he said something to the woman there. He said something to the man and to the serpent. He, he said that uh, there would be a seed from the woman that would bruise the head of the serpent. Now, that was a very unique prophecy, and, it, it, and, it, and it's actually um, uh, what theologians call the first gospel or the first good news, the, the, the proto-angelion of the scripture. This is God's answer to the fall of man, that one day the woman would provide a man that would actually bruise the head of the serpent. And as you well know, in Oklahoma, the best way to kill a rattlesnake is to cut off his head, to crush his head, because that's where his poison is. Well, that's what Jesus Christ came into the world to do. And it was anticipated by the prophecies of the Scripture. Did you know that there's nearly 300 prophecies in the Old Testament that Jesus Christ actually fulfilled? And each one of them would be fulfilled in the short span of 33 years, 33 years of human history, Jesus would actually fulfill exactly and fulfill completely over uh, nearly 300 prophecies in the Old Testament. That's why I value Galatians chapter 4, verse 4, when Paul said, in the fullness of time, God is always on time, isn't he? God's never too early, never too late. He's always on time. In the fullness of time, God sent forth His Son, made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that were under the law. That's a powerful, powerful verse to go within the spirit of anticipation of the promised seed and when it would come. Luke chapter 2 tells us when that time had come. I think about it in the terms of Isaiah's prophecies, many uh, prophecies in the book of Isaiah. But in Isaiah uh, 7 verse 14, we read that the Messiah would be born of a virgin. In uh, Isaiah chapter 9 verse 6, his name would be called Wonderful Counselor, right? The Everlasting Father, right? Right? Prince of Peace, that's, that's the Messiah. That's a prophecy that pointed uh, to Jesus Christ. And I love uh, Isaiah chapter 32 verse 1 where he says, Behold, the day is coming when a king shall reign in righteousness and princes shall rule in judgment and a man shall be as a hiding place from the tempest, as a shadow of a great rock in a weary land. I love that kind of language uh, with reference to Jesus because he is truly the king that reigns in righteousness. But Isaiah, 700 years before Christ came, Isaiah was pointing toward the incarnation of the Son of God, Jesus Christ. He was anticipating His coming. As I mentioned this morning uh, in Micah chapter 5, verse 2, Micah would say that the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem Ephrata. Uh, the smallest village in all Judea, he would come and be born in Bethlehem. If that is so, I'm just asking a question. 
If Micah said 400 years before Christ came that the Messiah was going to be born in Bethlehem, could the Messiah be born anywhere else? I'm just asking. I don't believe he could have been born anywhere else. When, when uh, so many times the Jews tried to kill Jesus, we read about this all through the Gospels. You know, they took up stones to stone him, and they couldn't find him. They wanted to throw him off of a hill. They couldn't, they couldn't do that. He passed through their midst. All of those times that his life was in jeopardy, did you know that there's no way he could have died any other, any other way than on a cross? The reason is because God's word says the Messiah would be nailed to a tree. The Messiah would bear the curse of sin upon the tree through which he would remove the curse. He had to die the way he died in the timing he died for the reason he died. Same way with his birth. Everything had to fall into place exactly the way God's word said that it would. Now this gives me a great deal of joy and a great deal of confidence because when I realize that Christ's first coming had to be in full agreement with what the Word of God said about it, I'm able to stand on Bible ground when it comes to the second coming. He will come at the end of the age. And He will come in the way He said He would. As in the days of Noah, so shall the coming of the Son of Man be. And by the way, I believe we're living in days like the days of Noah today. But we have confidence that God's Word is not fables, not, not uh, just old stories, not, not just uh, written to uh, be a measure of comfort to God's people while we travel through this world. God's Word is true. It's divinely inspired and divinely preserved. And this word is going to stand, friends, when this world is enwrapped in flames. The reason I know that is because I have a little understanding about the first coming of the Son of God. How that it was anticipated by all of these prophecies in the Old Testament and anticipated by uh, the, the word of God itself. In Malachi chapter 3, verse 2, Malachi says, The Lord shall suddenly come to His temple. See, uh, in other words, He will come at the appointed time. And I believe the second time Jesus Christ is coming is at an appointed time. There's a day coming when the Father is going to look to the Son and say, Son, it's time to go get the bride. There's an anticipation involved in that. You know, in this same chapter, uh, Luke chapter 2, we find uh, in reference to Simeon in uh, chapter 2, verse 25, he was anticipating the coming of the Messiah, wasn't he? Listen to this. And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and the same man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Ghost was upon him. He was uh, awaiting the hope of Israel's Messiah. He was, he was anticipating the coming of the Messiah. And the Lord, the Holy Spirit, told him that you're not going to see death until you see the Messiah. And when they, Mary and Joseph brought the Messiah into the temple to have him circumcised according to the law of Moses, 
the Holy Spirit said, Simeon, that's him. That's it. And he took the child up in his arms and said, Now let us thy servant depart in peace, for mine eyes have seen thy salvation. He was anticipating the coming of the Messiah. Later in this chapter, a woman named Anna was anticipating the coming of the Messiah, awaiting the consolation of Israel. And she was informed by the Holy Spirit of the same thing, that this Messiah was the one that they were coming into the uh, house of God to dedicate, to dedicate him uh, before the Lord. I believe that's a good pattern for dedicating our children to the service of God even today. But then we see this advent the advent, this three-day journey um, that was common in the time uh, of Joseph and Mary. You, you see, uh, God commanded the men of uh, Judah to go to Jerusalem three times a year. It wasn't unusual to see large caravans of Jewish men making their way to the city of Jerusalem during these feast times. That wasn't unusual. But I want, you to sub- I want to submit something for your consideration, though this morning it was highly unusual to see women as a part of this caravan. And not just women, but pregnant women in this caravan. Can you imagine the difficulty that Mary had to go through on this three-day journey? I'm sure part of it was on a burrow riding a donkey, but part of us had to, had to also be walking. And you sisters can relate of being nine months pregnant. Uh, it was not long after she arrived that the time was fulfilled for the birth of Christ. This was uh, this was a very difficult thing. It was. I realize we have romanticized a lot of the Christmas story, a lot of the birth story, the nativity story. We've romanticized it through Hollywood's versions and so forth. But I don't want you to miss this. It had to be very difficult for her. And it had to be very difficult for Joseph. Because Joseph loved Mary. And when a husband loves his wife... He doesn't want to see her suffer or uh, uncomfortable like that. You can imagine. It was was a, a very trying time in their lives together. But it was also a reminder that the advent of Christ would be so different from the advent of any other king. It would be just embellished with poverty and hardship. The advent of Christ would be identifying with the poorest of the poor and the lowest of the low. It reminds me of what Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and verse 9. He said, You have known the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, how that he was rich but became poor, that we through his poverty might be made rich. You see, Jesus was Uh, Jesus was identifying, as it were, with us in His first coming. It's, It's much in the same way that when God, Jehovah, appeared unto Moses in the desert, 
He didn't appear to him in a, a burning oak tree or a huge uh, cedar tree or some other beautiful tree that you can imagine in your mind. He, he manifested himself in a thorn bush. You ever think about that? A thorn bush. Uh, that's how he manifested himself to Moses. Why? He could have chosen all of these other grandiola trees or plants to uh, manifest his glory in, but he manifested his glory in the thorn bush because he was identifying with the affliction of his people Israel. He was identifying with them in their suffering, in their struggle, in their poverty, in their, in their great and vast needs. So it's not amazing to us in the story of Jesus' first coming for him to have difficulty coming to this uh, city, uh, this village called Bethlehem. I think about this in terms of what Paul said in Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 11. He took on himself the form of a servant. Now get this, king of kings, and yet he comes like a servant. In John chapter 13, when he took the slave's towel and wrapped it around his waist and bent down and washed the disciples' feet, why did he do that? Why did he do that? You know, he said, he said you call me Lord, and you call me Master, and, so, and you say, well, for so I am. But if I, your Lord and Master, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. See, he was assuming the role of a servant. It's, isn't that amazing? Doesn't that cause you to just uh, swell with thanksgiving and awe? Jesus came in the way that he came as a, a servant of servants. That's who washes feet. It's the lowest servant on the uh, social strata. They're the ones that would wash uh, somebody's feet. But Jesus takes a basin and he bows down (laughs) and washes those dirty feet. My goodness. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 20 verse 28, He said, The Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give His life a ransom for many. Oh, think about this wonderful Savior in His advent. He came as a servant and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross, the most terrible death a person could die. He willingly submitted to that And that was the very purpose for his advent. I know this is difficult to think about, but think about it with me. Jesus Christ was born to die. He came to die. When the wise men brought those gifts to Jesus, they didn't just bring the gold and the frankincense, the emblems of his kingliness and and his high priesthood, But they also brought myrrh, which was a burial ointment. 
You see, this is the Savior. This is the king that was born uh, nearly 2,000 years ago. In his advent, he came to die. But let's look at this uh, closer, this announcement. Isn't it interesting, or at least it is to me, that Jesus did not appear to Octavius Augustus Caesar. He, he didn't appear to him. He didn't appear to the Roman Senate to get permission to come into Judea. Uh, he, he did not appear to the religious elite in Jerusalem, the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the wealthy among them. He didn't come there. He, he didn't manifest His coming to them first. But the first evangel, the first evangelists that were enlisted to carry the message of Christ in His advent were shepherds. The lowest people on this totem pole. Let me tell you, uh, if you... If you if you can, uh, there's a book called uh, by uh, Alfred Edersheim called The Life and Times of Jesus the Messiah. And he talks about the role of shepherds in the first century. He's a Messianic Jew. And he, and he, he says it's just unbelievable that, that God would first announce the coming of the Messiah to shepherds because they were the most outcast of all the people. And the reason is, is because of their smell. Um, I had the privilege of working on a sheep ranch when I was about 14 one summer. Uh, of course, my job mainly was, was feeding. And, and I can testify, when you work with sheep, sheep stink. And it gets all over you, and it doesn't come off very easy. But also the shepherds, of course, would be uh, shearing and in the process of shearing, sometimes the sheep would die. And if you come into contact with a dead thing, a dead body, you were then considered uh, ceremonially unclean. Therefore, shepherds were not allowed to come to the temple. Shepherds were not allowed to come to the synagogue for the same reason. And they stank. I mean, when they walk in a room, you know they're there. And uh, so, so they were considered the outcasts. You know, we don't want anything to do with shepherds. Isn't that amazing that the angel announcing the birth of the Messiah would come to those stinky, defiled shepherds? Why? Because this is a pattern of the ministry of the Messiah. Jesus did not come to save those that don't need saving. He didn't come to heal those that don't have sickness. Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. I'll get to that more in a moment. But I just want you to see he was identifying with the lowest of the low in his first advent, in his first coming. This announcement was to the shepherds. And uh, Gabriel's appearance in this uh, passage is, is, is majestic. And, and, and he didn't just come by himself, friends. He, he, he came with an angelic host. Now, the word host, 
It doesn't mean just uh, there was a bunch of angels. The word host literally means army. Did you know that God has an army? An army of angels. And, and the Bible says they're innumerable. They're, they're innumerable. They're, there's, there's no way to count all the angels that God has at his disposal. When Jesus was standing before Pilate, do you remember this? And Pilate says he has power to deliver him. He's, Jesus says, you don't, you don't have any power unless God in heaven gives it to you. And he says, if my servants, if it, was, if it was my intention to take over the Roman Empire, if it was my intention to dominate all of Judea, if that was my intention, my father would send 12 legions of angels. Now, you understand 12 legions of angels is a pile of angels. And when you go into the Old Testament and you see one angel went through this uh, uh, camp of over 100,000 enemies of, of Israel and killed them in one night, one angel did that, you think, well, I wonder what 12 legions could do. But Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were of this world, then would my servants fight. But my kingdom is not from hence. He wanted to make it clear that he was not there to take over uh, Caesar Augustus's job. He was not there to take over Annas and Caiaphas's job. He came for a specific purpose, and that was to rescue those that the Father had given him in covenant even before the world began. Hallelujah. Now, we're going to say more about that in just a minute. I'm getting ahead of myself. In 27 B.C., Edersheim shares something about this. In all of the Roman Empire, there was what was called the Pax Romana, the peace of Rome. In other words, during this particular period of time, Rome, instead of expanding its territory... Rome was building roads, uh, building schools, uh, doing things that were culturally advancement, uh, advancing. They, they were, it, it was during a relatively peaceful time when Jesus Christ came in his first uh, advent. But I want to hasten to say that Jesus Christ is the only hope of peace we'll ever know. Rome cannot provide peace for you. I know this is probably a shock to your senses, but neither can the United States government. They claim they can. If they can get enough of your tax money, they claim they can spend it better than you can. I know they can spend it faster. And they're making all of these grandioso promises, but brother, uh, I'm telling you, as Christians, we should never put our faith in the government. Never put your faith in men. Don't put your faith in Rome to provide peace. No, brothers and sisters, we're looking to the Prince of Peace to, to provide what we need. This announcement reminds us of that. I believe that the Magi were 
that were guided by a star in Matthew chapter 2. They, they were trusting in the leadership of that star, that miraculous star that was created for this purpose to show them where the Messiah was. But isn't it interesting that the shepherds believed in the word of God? The word of the angel was, he's born in the city, right? And they acted on that. They acted in faith, believing what they were told about the Messiah. And they went to see, they went to seek out, they went to find where the Messiah was born. You know, that's a good example, isn't it? How about you this morning? How about you? Do you believe? Do you believe because mom and daddy believes? Do you believe because grandma and grandpa believes? Or do you believe from your heart that Jesus Christ is Messiah and that he died for your sins? Do you believe with your heart? Uh, These shepherds did. These shepherds did believe that announcement. So we go from the anticipation and the advent uh, to the announcement. And now let's, let's think about Let's think about this in uh, context with the advantage. The result of his incarnation. I think about this in terms of Matthew chapter 5 verse 17 when Jesus said, Think not that I am come to destroy the law or the prophets, but I have come to fulfill them. He, he came to fulfill what Isaiah said about him. He came to fulfill Genesis chapter 3 verse 15. He came to fulfill all of those nearly 300 specific uh, uh, prophecies that relate to the redemption of God's people. Because after all, that's what the angel told Joseph and Mary. Thou shalt bear a son and call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Matthew one twenty one. God came down. He invaded the darkness of this world. He invaded the sinfulness of this world. He laid aside his the glory that was his by divine right. He laid it aside so that he could come to be rejected and ridiculed and mocked and hated by mortal man. He identified with the poor. He identified with the leper. Have you ever noticed this about the leper? Remember, it was uh, unlawful for you to ever touch a leper. You never touched a leper. It's, it's kind of like Brother Fuller uh, is, uh, had COVID recently and he doesn't want to even shake hands. I mean, I, I thought he was mad at me this morning. He wouldn't even shake hands. I, I kept trying to shake his hand. He said, no, 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 I'm not going to shake your hand. I said, well, why, do, is it because of what I'm wearing? Is it because of the way I look? Why, why won't you shake hands? With well, I had COVID and I don't want to take a chance and give you something you don't want. I appreciate I respect that. Uh, Brothers and sisters, uh, it, it's, it's hard for us to even imagine. I, I went, I've, I've been to India many times, and one of the trips we went to in India, we had the privilege of going and ministering in a, a leper colony. I'd never seen a leper. 
in all the places I've ever been in preaching the gospel. I've, 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 never seen, I've seen a lot of things, but I've never seen a leper. And they have leper colonies in, in India, South India. And uh, I, I didn't know what to expect, you know. But it's the most ghastly thing I've ever witnessed. Uh, children without noses, ears, fingers. Because leprosy is a disease of the blood and, 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 and it, it literally can destroy all your extremities and eventually it can lead to, to death. So we, we were ministering there, but there was a big wall between us. They, they wouldn't allow us to go on the inside of the colony. We had to stand on the outside of the colony with this huge glass, uh, and, and they could hear us and see us, but we couldn't touch them. And I couldn't help but think about the time when Jesus Christ met a leper in the way, and the leper cried out and said, Have mercy on me, son of David. In other words, he was expressing faith that Jesus was the Messiah. And the Bible says Jesus touched him and said, Behold. Jesus reached out and touched the untouchable. You see, that's, that's the kind of awe, that's the kind of amazement that should generate uh, uh, delight in your heart this morning and joy uh, to understand why He came. He came to demonstrate um, an unconditional love. Uh, he came to demonstrate um, an impeccable power. He came to demonstrate the very heart of God Himself to, toward those who need Him most. He came, and that's why we read in Luke chapter 7 verse 34 that he's called the friend of sinners. Can you imagine this? The friend of sinners. In Luke chapter 15 verse 2, uh, this man receives sinners, that's what it says, and publicans. The Apostle Paul said in 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 15, this man saved sinners. He said, this is a true and a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. See, that's what we should remember about the incarnation. That's what we should remember about the first coming of our Savior. His advent into the world because our advantage... In Him is salvation. Our advantage in Him is reconciliation with the Holy God. Our advantage in Him is redemption. A salvation from hell itself. So that we would be with Him in heaven's pure world. You see, that's what Christ came to give us through His incarnation. That's why it's not a light thing that we should ever enter his, into His house without a heart of gratitude, thanksgiving, and praise. You see, brothers and sisters, there's good tidings of great joy. Good tidings, good tidings. Yui Angalan, it's um, good news. 
It's, it's good news to fallen sinners. It's good news to the penitent. It's good news that have, uh, to individuals that have blown it in their life and have gone the wrong way, a long way, and everybody around them has given up on them. Yet Jesus says, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you what? Rest. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. You see, brothers and sisters, uh, the world puts heavy burdens on us. The world puts heavy uh, taxes on us. The world grieves us uh, uh, from time to time at our very soul. But Jesus never will. The world gives up on us, but Jesus never will. You see, brothers and sisters, that's why it's good news. It's, it's good tidings, and, it, and it's of great joy. It, it's great joy this morning. It's greater than your sorrow. It's greater joy than your sickness. It's greater joy than your struggle. We're rejoicing today in the incarnation of our Savior. And in Luke's gospel, we see that anticipation, that advent, that announcement. And I hope and I pray that you can rejoice in the advantage that we have in Him. God bless you. Thank you for your good attention.